finishing well is a term we all know about. Um, usually, probably, we use it in athletics. Whether that's in a, a, a mile-long race, and we all realize it's in that last quarter mile, that last lap, that everything comes down to how we finish. Or in football, it's that fourth quarter. You can play the best game in the world, but in that fourth quarter, you can make it or lose it all. Um, that's true not only of sports, it's true of life, isn't it? And when you lose it all at the end, nobody remembers that great beginning. They just remember how they blew it all at the end. Well, we want to talk today about the story of a man who unfortunately didn't finish well. First of all, let me just tell you a theoretical story of a person, okay? And, and this man had it all. He was born to the right parents. He grew up in a very wealthy home. He lacked nothing. Uh, he was smart, did well in school. Because of his, his family's wealth, he was able to go to all the best schools and have the best teachers. He was very popular. And so as a result of that, he became very successful. He was, in a sense, the man everybody wanted to be. And then at the end of his life, as he got older in years, he blew it. He made some choices that ended up ruining his life, and everyone was just shocked as they watched him sort of self-destruct. How would you describe that man? How would you describe his life? Maybe a sad story? Maybe a tragedy? Maybe a fool? There's one thing you probably wouldn't call him, and that's wise. That would be one of the last words you would use to describe such a life. Somebody who was, boy, he was wise. And so then you have to ask yourself if he was indeed smart, very smart. How could that happen? How in the world could that happen? Well, in a sense, that's the story of Solomon. He was the son of David, who his father, David, was the greatest king Israel ever had. He grew up in the palace. He had everything going for him. His mother was Bathsheba, who was David's favorite wife. He would have had all of the best teachers Israel could provide. Right there for him. He was popular. He was good looking. He was well liked. And in fact, of all of his sons, David chooses Solomon to be king and to succeed David. But as we look at Solomon, the story of Solomon, there is one other character in this story that we need to talk about because he plays a key role in the story. And that character is God. Because Solomon was a king under God. Israel was God's nation. Now Solomon loved God, at least in the beginning of this story. And if you want to turn to me, we're going to look at a few different verses from 1 Kings 3. And as Solomon begins being king, 
we hear this in, in the beginning of verse 3 of chapter 3 of 1 Kings. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David. Now if you think about that for just a second, David is described for us as a man after God's own heart. David loved God. And so what does David do? As any good father would do, he wants to pass that along to Solomon. And he said, now Solomon, here's how you walk with God. Here's how you love God. Here's how you be a man after God's own heart. And in the beginning, we read, Solomon followed all that advice and walked in his father's footsteps. And as a result, God was good to Solomon. We're told in verse 5 of 1 Kings 3 that God comes to Solomon one night in a dream and basically says, Solomon, I'll give you anything you want. You have pleased me. I love you, Solomon. You're the king of my nation. I'll give you anything you want. Now, stop for a second if you know what Solomon says. Would you think about that for a minute? We now live in a culture that's sort of lottery crazy. And... and, and Probably any of us, even if we're not into the lottery, maybe speculate once in a while when it hits $350 million, what would you do with that? If, you, if, if, if the numbers came up and you had the ticket, and it was like, wow. Well, see, this is way beyond the biggest lottery the U.S. has ever had. This is the God of the universe saying, what do you want? Here's a blank check. And it's not just money. This is power, this is success, I mean, anything, anything. And what does Solomon say? Look over in verse 7, 1 Kings 3, start with 7. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? A humble politician. We should have him run for office. But basically what Solomon says is, I'm in over my head. I don't have a clue how to be king. God help me, give me wisdom. And it was a great request. I mean, that's part of what Solomon is admired for. He didn't say, make me a trillionaire. He didn't say, kill all my enemies. He didn't say, help me to live to be 150. He didn't say all those self-centered kinds of things that he could have. What he did say is, for the sake of your people, for the sake of this nation, help me be a wise king who makes good decisions. And if you keep reading there, God is impressed. God says, you have answered well, Solomon. And so out of that, he says, I will give you not only wisdom, you will in fact be wiser than anybody who's ever lived. And if you look at the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes, which are really studies in wisdom, they're both written by Solomon. They were the fruit of this gift God gave. Saying, you are going to be the wisest human who's ever lived. 
But then God goes on to say, because you have asked well, you've been humble, you've focused on others, I will give you not only wisdom, but I will give you wealth and honor. You will be the most powerful and respected king there is today. Well, God kept his promise. And he did, in fact, bless Solomon with incredible wisdom. Uh, We read in the story, if you read chapter 13, they use that one example of two women who were living together. Both had babies. One was died in the night. And the other one whose baby died stole the other one. And so there was this big debate over whose baby it was. They come to Solomon. And they couldn't do DNA tests. They hadn't been invented. And Solomon in his wisdom says, I got this down. He says to one of his guards, give me a sword. He says, I I got the answer. You both claim this is your child. I'll cut the baby in half. You each can have half. Instantly, the real mother says, never mind. Let her have the baby. Because it was her child. And Solomon knew who the real mother was. And it says, everybody who was there that day was like, wow. That's genius. And God says, I know. I promised he would be the wisest man ever. And and so Solomon just grows in his fame. He has everything. Immense wealth, notoriety. Uh, One story, I I just like it. it. It's just so fun. His fame spreads not just among his own people. The kings talk. You know, we always joke about gossip. Kings and queens talk. And his fame even spread among the other kings and queens. Have you heard of this guy down in this little upstart country of Israel? Because it's really not that big a country. It's not a superpower, but it's becoming one because of its king. There's this King Solomon there, and he is incredible. And we have the story of the Queen of Sheba. Now, you've got to go back in history and understand this, because this is a bigger deal than we think. Sheba was below, it was a nation below Egypt. Sort of Ethiopia, Sudan, that area. But what that meant was, and the Nile, of course, is the lifeblood of Egypt. And Egypt is this superpower, but like any superpower, even in the modern world, a a developed nation needs what? Raw materials. And guess where Egypt got all its raw materials? The rest of Africa. And how did it get there? Through Sheba. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that Sheba got wealthy in trade. And so the queen of Sheba in the ancient world was a big deal. She in herself was a big ruler. Very wealthy, very powerful. And she hears this story about Solomon. And she's got to check it out. And it's a great story. Uh, 1 Kings 10 we read of her visit to check out Solomon. I want to read the first seven verses. When the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan, with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold, and precious stones, she came to Solomon 
and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. She came to challenge Solomon. Now, in case she's right, and he really is this super king, she brought all these gifts. But she really came to check it out. Is he for real, or is this just reputation? Verse 3, Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers, his waiters, And the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She said to the king, The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told to me. What I heard about you wasn't even half of the reality I see here. In wisdom and wealth you have far exceeded the report I heard. Solomon had it all. Even the other kings and queens stood in awe of him. I I wanted us to take the time to lay that out because it's part of the power of where Solomon falls. How high he had gone all that he had, we would look at that and say, how can this not end well? He has got it all. And most of us sit every day saying, I wish I could only get there. I wish I could only have it all. I'd be happy and I'd be a great person and I'd do great things. And we think that's what's going to happen with Solomon. But it doesn't. And to understand what goes wrong with Solomon, we need to go back to that other character in this story, and that's God and how he works. You see, the good news is that God never changes. That was true for Solomon. It's true for us today. It will always be true. He is consistent. He is honest. He is truthful. He is always up front with us. God never plays games with us. He never manipulates us. He's never less than honest. And he was up front with Solomon. On two different occasions, you can read it in 1 Kings 3, and then again in 1 Kings 9, God is up front with Solomon. And he says, Solomon, I have blessed you. I will bless you. If, if, one, you accept me as your God. Don't try and play God yourself. Don't follow other gods. I am God, and I need you to accept me as God, your God. And the second thing is, I need you to follow my instructions. If I give you directions, if I say this is what you should do or not do, I expect you to listen to me. I'm God. I'm your God. And in a sense, I can't bless you if you don't listen to me, if you don't follow my instructions. But if you do, I will bless you beyond anybody else but if you don't if you don't then i i won't bless you anymore and in a sense solomon you're going to be on your own and whatever happens isn't my fault solomon it's yours because you walked away from me the choice is yours and solomon had that choice 
God was fair with Solomon. He was upfront with him from the very beginning. The tragedy is, in all his wisdom, he made a foolish choice. We talked about that in Sunday school. How could you be that wise and in the end make such a foolish choice? But Solomon did. And we can try and psychoanalyze him and we can try and figure out whatever else, what in the world could have caused this? And we're speculating. But we know the facts and that is that he made a very foolish choice that caused him to not end well, to lose God's blessing. If you look at 1 Kings 11... Uh, Verses 4, 5, and 6. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely, as David his father had done. Now I want to stop for just a second. If you can remember way back to early December when we looked at David. David did things wrong. David wasn't perfect. He actually murdered, he stole another man's wife, killed her husband. And even at the end of his life, he still messes up and is again punished by God. So it wasn't that David was perfect, but God draws one critical difference. David's heart was always fully devoted to God. Yes, he made mistakes, and he did dumb things, But when the prophet Nathan came to him and said, David, you sinned, David was instantly, you're right. And he would try and correct that. He would repent of that sin because his heart was fully committed to God and God alone. So it wasn't that God demanded perfection. It was just God says, I'm God. And I want a relationship with you where you're not trying to share me with others. And you know, if I think about that, I I don't think most of us would have any problem with that. If we're married, we really expect our spouse to have a relationship with one person, and that's us. And we don't think we're out of line in expecting that. And God says the same thing. If you say I'm your God, then make me your God. Don't play games with me. Don't tease me. Don't have me as your God on this day, and somebody else as your God on Tuesday, and somebody else as your God on Thursday. I want to be your God if I'm going to be your God. And that's what Solomon didn't do. And he ends up being unfaithful to God. And he lost God's blessing. And he ends up a tragedy. A sad story of a wasted life. To me, there is a a question we need to ask ourselves, and that is, how can we learn from Solomon's story? I think there's really awesome things in Solomon's story, and that is the capability of how much God can bless us and enjoys blessing us. If you look at Solomon when he and God were doing well and he was fully devoted to God, 
we see a God who delights in blessing his children. And we need to hear that. I think some of us were raised with an image of a God who's a stingy God who reluctantly gives his blessings if we beg him enough and do enough good deeds. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a loving parent who enjoys giving good gifts to his children. And we see that in Solomon's early life. And God was loving it. I think God was sitting back saying, way to go, Solomon. Great decision on the baby. God enjoys blessing. But he does ask us to be faithful to him. God expects us to treat him like God. Because he is. And he is a God who says, I don't like lying. I don't like unfaithfulness. I don't like you cheating on me, betraying me. I don't want to share you. In a sense, in our language today, God respects himself too much to let us cheat on him. And he respects us too much to enable us to cheat on him. He says, you matter too much to me. I'm not going to let you live a lie. He builds a relationship with us based on truth and integrity and commitment. Another lesson we learn is that beginning well isn't enough. We're not done. No matter what our age is, you don't retire. We talked about this in Sunday school. You don't retire in your spiritual life. And you don't reach a point where you say, I'm done. I've, I've tied that package up and put the tape around it. It's sealed. I'm out of here. Not till you die. And there is a challenge in that, isn't there? I, I would guess a majority in this room are what I would call experienced Christians. This isn't new stuff for us. But for a lot of us, how would we chart our spiritual lives? I think a lot of us would draw a line that would show us where we commit our life to Christ, we become a believer, and boy, there's real growth. And that line is going upward. And we're learning new stuff, and we're doing new stuff, and we're trying new stuff. We're into the Bible, we're figuring out prayer. What, whatever it is we're doing, we're going to a small group and all this. And boy, that line's going upwards. But somewhere along the line, that line stops growing, doesn't it, for a lot of us? And it starts to look like the stock market. Ups and downs, ups and downs, but the trend is pretty flat. And it struck me that the story of of Solomon needs to challenge us. That we shouldn't be comfortable in a spiritual life that's just sort of in the middle. Because there is a danger in that, that somewhere some influences come in. That take us away from God. That's really what happened to Solomon. He wasn't careful about who influenced him. And some people influenced him in wrong directions. And to, to me, the challenge to us is to say to each of ourselves, what are we doing to feed our spiritual lives, to grow closer to God? To take that relationship with God seriously because He has the power to bless. And without that blessing, we're in trouble. 
to handle life. And so how do we walk with Him? How do we grow closer to Him? How do we let Him have more of our lives so that we finish well? The Apostle Paul says, I beat my body daily. He uses the language of an athlete who drives himself in practice, whatever. You've been probably with me watching the news of Lindsey Vaughn and how she pushes herself. I don't have a a ligament in this one side of my knee, but I'm going to try it anyway. I mean, she's just out there on the edge. And you say, what drive? That's the language Paul uses about his spiritual life. And he says, I drive myself so that in the end, I'm not disqualified. So that I don't mess up at the end and not finish the race. And that to me is the challenge of Solomon. What are we doing to make sure we finish the race? Push ourselves. Do what we need to do. I know we're busy. I know you don't have time for Wednesday night or Sunday school or a small group or a prayer seminar or whatever, but those are the kinds of things we need to do to finish well, to keep growing, to get closer to God so that the influences around us don't take us off track like they did Solomon. Because the influences are there. They're around every one of us. Those voices saying, oh, come on over here. Do this. It'll be fun. This will be great. And and they're appealing voices. That's why we need that spiritual food so that we have the wisdom to see what's really going on and to say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. I'm going here. Because I want to walk with God till the last breath I take. And then I'm going to go home and have the perfect life for eternity. That's what it means to finish well. Let's all finish well. Let's pray. Father, I, I'm glad your word continue, contains stories that are not always fairy tales. Sometimes they're tragedies. Because they warn us. They warn us of mistakes. They warn us of pitfalls that can trick us, trip us up. I pray you could use Solomon's story for us for that. That we have the wisdom to see what we need to do to finish well. To walk with you in integrity as you alone are our God as Jesus is the only one leading our lives. Help us, Father. We can't do it on our own. Help us finish well with you. In your Son's name.